lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, there's two simple ways. You can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty much on there 24 hours a day, and I don't sleep much. Uh, I am at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It's all one big long word. It is a lacrosse show, lacrosse puns. They're fun. Just ask Reese Dutch. Uh, you can also email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.ca. Um, as always, love to hear from fans all over the world. Got some good emails from people last week. Um, Jim Fee continues to email me, and we have some good conversations about the world of lacrosse, and I've heard some from some other fans about some other issues. So please, drop me a line. Let me know where you're listening from, what you think, what you don't like, uh, how you think the year is shaping up in the National Lacrosse League because it has so far been... A very, very interesting start to things, and everyone's kind of said it, and everyone keeps saying it, um, but put your hands up if you saw the East shaping up the way it's already shaped up after five weeks. Uh, nobody thought New England would be leading things uh, with a 3-1 and record. Uh, I'm going to get to New England in a minute because I have to give them a lot of credit, especially to their coaches. Um, but Georgia at 3-2, and two, sitting in second place, followed by Rochester, Buffalo, and then, of course, the winless Toronto Rock, who made some waves this week with the firing of defensive coach Dan Lattisur. Um, we'll talk about that in a little while as well. Um, the West Division, Colorado, Saskatchewan, Calgary, and then Vancouver. Colorado losing their first of the year to the rush in Saskatoon on Saturday night. Sorry, on Friday night. And it was um, just everything we wanted to be. Th- this weekend was everything you could have hoped for if you're just a general lacrosse fan. If you're a fan of the Toronto Rock, it's definitely not what you're hoping for. But if you're a fan of just good lacrosse, then you got it. Uh, the Saskatchewan-Colorado game was back and forth. Saskatchewan had to come back and win that game late in the fourth quarter. Georgia and Toronto went back and forth, toe-to-toe in a 37-goal shootout with Georgia coming out on top 20-17. to Those were the two Friday games. And then Saturday, Buffalo goes to New England, drops a very close game in what was a very good game, 15-11. And then Georgia taking on Rochester. Georgia wins two games in the same weekend. It's the first time this young team has had to play two games in one weekend. It's never easy doing the double, especially when it's on the road. And even more so when you got to go Toronto than Rochester. And I know Toronto's not playing very well right now, but to do those two games back-to-back, it's not an easy task. And after putting up 20 on Friday, Georgia puts up 13 against Rochester, shutting them down to nine goals, and you just have to be incredibly impressed with the resolve of this young Georgia team. And then the final game of the weekend uh, was the TSN game. Kudos to Brad and Jake, who did an absolutely fantastic job. That's going to be another point I want to talk about, because those guys deserve some credit. Uh, Vancouver ends up losing to Calgary 15-13 in what was an incredible, incredible game. And just all five games over the weekend were fantastic. Uh, another fairly busy game, four games on the schedule. Sus- um, Calgary's at Saskatchewan Friday night. They got bumped because wrestling's in town. New England is in Buffalo. Georgia 
goes to Calgary as Calgary plays two games in one weekend. And then Colorado visits Vancouver for a rematch of that absolute drubbing two weeks ago at the LEC. So one game Friday, Calgary at Saskatchewan, and then three games all on Saturday. Uh, just checking out the uh, TSN broadcast schedule. All games um, will be Fox Sports Go, except the Colorado-Vancouver game. Those That game is either Watch ESPN or TSN Go. Uh, NLLTV.com will take you right to the broadcast page, and you can just click the links for the online web streams. Um, I've noticed, uh, for, especially for those in Canada, that when you click the TSN Go link that's on that page, that it takes you to sort of the main TSN Go channel. And sometimes when the games aren't actually on TV, they're not shown up on that game. So bookmark this page. I'm going to do everybody a favor here. Bookmark this page. www.tsn.ca slash lacrosse slash video. That will take you right to sort of the video main page on the lacrosse side of the TSN website. And when there's a game on TSN Go, the game is generally there. So, tsn.com, sorry, tsn.ca, slash lacrosse, slash video. As mentioned, there was some big news over the weekend, uh, actually yesterday, um, as I record this on Tuesday, uh, Monday, the Toronto Rock letting Dan Latisergo, a former Rock player, uh, he's been with the team for the past three years, I believe, as a defensive coach, and for me, and I know a lot of people agree with this, I don't think Latisseur and the defense was the issue. I spoke to Dan a little bit um, after the, the news release came out, and he's kind of still shaking his head a little bit. And, and Jamie Dowick, the Rock president owner GM, said that he's not pinning this on Dan Latisseur in their own five start, but something needed to happen. Now, I don't know why what needed to happen was firing Dan Latisseur because when you look at Toronto's schedule and, and, and the games that they've played over the first five weeks of the season, you can't really put the blame on the defense. Game one, 12 goals against. Game two, 12 goals against. Game three, 12 goals against. Game four, 12 goals against. Game five, 17, uh, 20. That's the anomaly when you look at it. But on the other side, game one, two, three, and four, a combined 25 goals in four games. Now that can't happen for an offense that boasts Brett Hickey, Rob Hellier, Steph LeBlanc, Colin Doyle, uh, Casey Beerns, and Kevin Ross. And I don't know why the move was made to fire Dan Lattisor because, as I said, I don't think the defense was the issue. The The game against Georgia where there was 37 goals scored, like, those are just one of those games where nothing goes right for either team. All four goalies played in that game. Like, it was no, no defense was stopping anything. But it wasn't warranted firing your D coach the next day. Now, here's my take, and I could be completely way off. However... This is something that I talked about at the end of the show last week. You can't, if you're running a lacrosse team, you can't play favorites and you can't, you know, hang on to your best friend's hand the whole way through. 
And I'm not saying John Lovell should have been fired, and I'm not saying Blaine Manning should have been let go, or, or I don't think any of the coaches should have been let go yet. I think Jamie Dowick, as a general manager, needs to make some moves to try to help his team. They signed Jamie Batston. Um, that's not really going to help in the grand scheme of things. Um, so they made a move, and the move was to relieve their decos. Now, I don't know who they go out and get. The good thing for Toronto is that they don't play for two weeks. Their next game isn't until the four, uh, the fourteenth, when they have to take on New England at the casino, a three p.m. Eastern Sunday game. So they have a lot of time to make a move, but they can't, you know, wait till late next week to make the decision. Like they got to get this done sooner than later, because if you're bringing in a D coach that's not familiar with the system that you're running, and maybe he wants to put a new system in, well, you need your defense to have time to adjust to that system. So I don't know what the Rock are going to do. It confused me when I saw that Laddie got released because, like I said, I, I didn't think he was um, the branch to break off. I think that's just where the axe fell, and he was a bit of a scapegoat. You can't have friends on the cross. You have to be able to separate that and say, hey, you know what? We may be good friends. You may be my best buddy. We might have grown up together, whatever the case may be. But you're running a professional sports franchise, and there are no friends when it comes to winning and losing. You have to be able to make tough decisions. And if that means firing a friend... Well, unfortunately, it didn't work. It's happened before in all pro sports. But for the Toronto Rock, I just didn't think Laddie was the weak link. I think they've been ravaged by injuries. Um, They haven't had the greatest drafts in the past few years, picking up players that actually helped them. I think they've been too focused on grabbing players that are local guys that may take a hometown discount and can drive back and forth to games. They don't have to be fly-ins. They don't have to put be relocated or anything like that. So I think this two weeks does Toronto a bit of good. I think they put a D guy in place. Who knows who it's going to be? Like there's some names out there, but I'm not sure what direction Jamie Dowick wants to go. So we'll see how Toronto... Um, bounces back in two weeks when they take on New England on Valentine's Day. Speaking of New England, I said this after the first game of the year when they put a whooping on Vancouver. I said, I'm a big believer in what Glenn Clark, Jim Veltman, and Tracy Kluski are doing out there. I wasn't sold on Clark at the start of the year. And I wasn't, you know, I was still even kind of skeptical after they lost to Calgary 9-8. But from having spoken to that coaching staff and looked into their eyes and understood what they were doing, and their message was, we have guys who have bought into our system. And that team, when you look at that roster, especially the D guys, that's a lot of American D guys. McGill, Manny, uh, 
John Rannigan, Sheldon Burns, uh, Sheldon Burns is a whippy guy, but Billy O'Brien, uh, like they have some guys on their team that are still kind of new to the indoor game and learning the nuances of it. Um, but what Clark and Veltman have been able to do to get those guys playing all together on the same page and understanding the system that they're put in place doesn't work if they don't believe in that system. And yeah, people are going to argue, oh, well, you get, you put Kevin Crowley and Sean Evans on that offense and it makes a world difference. Of course it does. Like, of course it does. But you can score all the goals in you, that you want, but if your defense doesn't get the job done, which New England's hadn't in the years past, then it, it's not going to matter if you score 30 if you're giving up 31. That was what Colorado changed after their first three games. You know, it helped that they were scoring 16 goals a game, but giving up 14, 15 doesn't help. So they've toned that back a bit. Now for New England, they've put a defensive system in place that allows their players to use their athletic ability, use their skills and their size, because that's a big back end. They have three guys, four guys, Maybe even five guys, six, three, or more. Like, those are big bodies all over the floor. And when they're allowed to use their athletic ability and play the system that Jimmy V and Clarkie have in place, it gives everybody more confidence. Most importantly, Evan Kirk, who is having a career year in between the pipes, Leading the league in goals against average with 8.25. That's like a goal .75 more than anybody else. Next next closest guy is Aaron Bold, and he's at 10 goals a game against. Kirkie's 8.25. And he's played pretty much every minute for New England. Like he has played every minute. He's 3-1. and one, An 84% save percentage. And a lot of that has to do with him playing with a defense in front of him that he feels confident with and that is going to get the job done, that he can be a little more aggressive playing his angles because he knows guys are going to take angles away. Um, look at Tyler Richards with Vancouver the two years before he retired. Everyone's going to say, I'm going to talk about Tyler Richards in a minute. Um, but everyone says, oh, you know, his numbers dropped and he's not as good as he was when he won the championship in 2010. Well, yeah, his numbers are going to drop when the defense in front of him is terrible and injury ravaged. And the guys that are in front of him just aren't playing to their level of play. So of course his goals against and his numbers are going to balloon. doesn't mean he's not a good goaltender. So for Evan Kirk to have the bounce back year that he's had, because he's had some tough years in the National Cross League. And when the way he's playing in front or behind that defense just makes me smile to see that team doing so well. Because a lot of turmoil with that team. You know, go from Philly to New England, a long-standing franchise for 30 years in the National Cross League, then all of a sudden up and move. And you go to a new area and... Uh, there was a lot going around that team, and Kirky was four and thirteen. Um, his goals against I was thirteen point five five, and his save percentage was seventy three percent. 
Like, it's incredible to see how quickly he can turn his game around. And one of the biggest reasons is the defense and the guys playing in front of him. The additions of Derek Suns and Dan Ball were huge. Um, I talked about Evans and Crowley. Like, that's massive. But getting Dan Ball and getting Derek Suddens on that roster just brings some solidity. Uh, adding Shane McDonald to the front end is a nice little pickup. Same with Mike McDonald. They're going to get Andrew Suter back eventually, and that just makes them that much more scary. So it's cool to see um, the way, you know, Toronto looking for some coaches, maybe. Glenn Clark, Jim Veltman, two former Rock guys leading New England Black Wolves to uh, the top seed out east. Like, come on. It's, it's such a great story. Uh, the Georgia Swarm is a great story. And to see uh, last week on this podcast and, and even in my uh, 30 thoughts that comes out on Thursdays, I, I was kind of uh, against, not against, I can't even think of the word right now. Uh, oh, critical. I was critical. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. I was critical of the Thompson brothers and the slow start that they had been having with Georgia in the first you know few games. They had some struggles. But look what they did over the weekend. Uh, Lyle had 10 points on Friday, three points on Saturday for 13-point weekend. Um, Miles, I think, was like four and eight or something like that. And then you get Jesse King contributing. He's back healthy. Shane Jackson is starting to have an incredible year. Randy Stats is, you know, prob- he's the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year right now, I think. Like, you can argue Lyle. You could argue any of those rookies on, on the Swarm. Like, Graham Hossack's having a great year, but defenders kind of get overlooked just because old guys are the stack guys. But Randy Stats just continues to put up impressive numbers, and that whole swarm offense is just coming together. And Eddie Como has done an incredible job with that group. Uh, one last thing before we get to our interview with the commissioner, Nick Sakavich. The Tyler Richards situation. Um, it kind of snuck by a few people on the NLL transaction page as it got released um, late last week. It gets updated almost every day or most days. Um, but I actually didn't notice it at first. And it was on the 26th, so that was, what, eight days ago. And they had put Cliff Smith on the IR first level, and they moved Ryan Wagner from the practice list to the active roster and I just I don't know how I miss it but I missed them placing Tyler Richards on the active roster evaluation list from the retired list now this got a lot of people um, you know had their ears perked up because oh well maybe the stealth are going to make a move here and bring in Tyler Richards because their goaltending of Eric Penny and Chris Levis haven't been that great and it's true they haven't Penny played a better game Saturday night. That was probably his best game of the year. And it was, easily. It was his best game that he played. He was he was feeling more confident. He was stepping out and challenging shooters. He was making big saves when needed. But he's still a very young goaltender. So I thought, oh, okay, Tyler Richards. What are they doing here? So sent a little message out to my good buddy Doug Locker. And we had a good conversation about it. So I asked him, I said, well, what's the deal? So what happens is 
they're not actually really pursuing Tyler Richards. It wasn't really a thought that crossed their mind. Tyler Richards approached the stealth and said, hey, you know what? I think I'd kind of like to come back and play. Now, for those that don't know, Tyler Richards stepped away from the game last year, um, setting concussion issues uh, and health reasons to step away from the game. So as it goes, he voluntarily put himself on the retired list. So when a player asks voluntarily to be put on that list, he can voluntarily ask to be taken off that list. So this is what happens. Richards approaches the stealth and says, hey, I think I'd like to play again. It's kind of crossed my mind. I'm feeling pretty good. So the stealth obligated, essentially, because he's asked to be taken off the retired list, they put him on the what's called the active roster evaluation list. And now there's a two-week period that they can do something with him. So they didn't take him to Calgary. Uh, I, th- I think I'm under the impression that they will look at him, but what they have to do is they're going to send him to a neurologist and a doctor and a specialist and get his head fully checked out, and they're going to run a lot of tests with him, make sure he's healthy, make sure his head's going to be okay. But here's the thing. And I talked to Tyler Richards when this news sort of came out. And I said, how are you feeling? He's like, oh, I feel great, man. Best shape I've been in my life. I'm feeling awesome. I, I, I'd really like to get back to playing again. Like, I miss it. My life was hell without lacrosse. I said, man, that's great. Like, love to see you back out there. But when was the last time you took a Reese Dutch howitzer off the helmet? And that's the concern. Now, he did say that he's going to switch from the cascade-filled helmet that he'd been using for most of his career um, to a more traditional hockey goalie mask, which is great. I love that decision. Dylan Ward's done it. A couple other guys are doing it. But you'll never know how your head reacts until you take one off the melon. And I'm worried as a guy that had to stop playing because of concussions and deals from a lot of the side effects that he could come back, says he feels great, pass all those tests, but as soon as he's in practice and wears one off the helmet, that you know, the little birdies start spinning around and he gets dizzy and blurried focus and all that, all those things that come with getting your head, your bell rung, that it may have negative effects on him. So the stealth aren't actively pursuing it. As I said, they put him on their evaluation list. So they have two weeks to do anything with him. And then after that, they have to make a decision. Put him on the holdout, long-term IR, release him, trade him, whatever they're going to do. Now, in speaking to a few people, there have been some tires kicked on Richards now, currently, and before this transaction happened. But as of yet, the Stealth are seemingly pretty comfortable with where they're at in between the pipes. So, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, who knows? I, like I said, I talked to Tyler. They're, they're going to evaluate him this week. And uh, hopefully, uh, by my Thursday thoughts, it might have an update. If not, next time here on this show, we will get to it. Now, we've been waiting for this for a while, and we finally got the commissioner on the show. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a redo interview. Um, It's a great story. Paul Tutka laughed himself silly when I told him this. Uh, I had a chance to talk with uh, the commissioner earlier Tuesday in the day, um, we had a great conversation. It was like 
35, 40 minutes. We talked everything. And uh, I really, um, you know, wanted to pick his brain and get into some things and, and see what he was feeling and how he was feeling about different aspects of the NLL now that he's a month into the job. And it was great. I loved it. You know, it was great. Perfect. Woo! Did the interview. When I went to look back, I had forgotten to press record on the interview. I was not a happy guy. I was upset, angry, frustrated, so many different words that I can't say on here, but that's life. So I reached out to the commissioner and said, hey, man, I, great talk, Nick. I really enjoyed it. Um, unfortunately, it didn't record. Any way that we could redo this? It's like, absolutely, man. No worries. Give me a call this afternoon. Like, come on. Like, that's just awesome. The guy drives from Baltimore to Buffalo to watch a Bandits game. He talks on the phone with me for 40 minutes, probably did like three other interviews between the time we stopped talking the first time by the time we did our second interview, and he was all for it, gung-ho. And we rocked for another 40 minutes. So without further ado, after his first, first month on the job as the new head honcho of the National Lacrosse League, I present to you an intimate one-on-one conversation with the commissioner, Nick Sikavich. Joining me now on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the man who's just finished his first month as commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. He is Nick Sakevich, and he joins us here on OTCB. Nick, how are you, sir? Good, Teddy. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks. Uh, it's good to have you on. It's been a while, but uh, through all ropes and chains and poise, we've gotten you on the show. Um, your first month is now officially in the books. How has it been so far? Uh, it's been terrific. It's been a whirlwind uh, getting out to as many markets as I can, speaking with a lot of people, uh, fans, media, owners, front office staff, and uh, just trying to absorb as much as I can and as fast as I can uh, here in the NLL. It's been a it's been a great first month. Very informative, very illuminating, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to the coming weeks. I'm visiting Vancouver on the 20th. I'm going to be in uh, in Denver and Calgary the week before, so I'm looking forward to those trips. For people that don't really know a lot about you, you know, you don't have an extensive lacrosse background. You've made only seen you know a couple games before actually taking over. But in your first few weeks, what's really surprised you about the National Lacrosse League like now that you're you know fully invested in it? Um, what's what's not? It's not been so much surprising. It's what it, what's been. It's been eye-opening and I, I go back to the quality of the game itself mm-hmm. um, I mean it's world-class and the, and the game on the floor is fantastic the players the coaches um, they are doing a really great job and they're really doing their part to put a product on the floor that is extremely watchable entertaining fast pace and the fans I speak with that are in venue um, the front office staff you know it was Actually, another little bit of a surprise was just how passionate and committed the front office staff members are um, at all the teams. Mm-hmm. They want to succeed. They want to win. They're very competitive. So, uh, I guess, it's the, you know, the product and, and the, the staff that I'm meeting at the front office. Uh, you Yeah, you've raved about the quality of the product and, and the entertainment value of the National Cross. Like it's one of the things you continually say, in all of your interviews uh, is that lacrosse is, you know, the best kept secret in the entertainment sports market. 
is there something that, that is really good that the National Lacrosse League does besides the product that's on the floor? Well, I, I think over recent years, uh, the, the nine owners that we have in the league are very committed. They've put a great foundation down uh, for the league and positioned it for growth going forward. This this next phase for for the National Lacrosse League is going to be very important. It's going to be important to to build a plan and invest in that plan in areas that that in our previous 30 years we haven't really invested in. Mm-hmm. Being smart and diligent on the types of owners that we bring in to the league and making sure that they the new ones match up to the philosophies and strengths of our current ownership. Moving into markets with great buildings that make sense for that owner and and communities that will embrace the team and and uh, make the team successful. So I think those are all important important strategies. And I think the NLL has done a really good job in the last you know three four years of you know creating a foundation to build on and taking it from here. But but we have a lot of work to do. We have mm-hmm. a massive amount of work to do because this product cannot be as good as it is and be a hidden secret in nine markets. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got to get the word out and we've got to do a much better job of highlighting the tremendous product that uh, is quite sellable from a ticket standpoint and a, and a viewership standpoint. So that, if that's the good, is the bad, the, the, the not so good job that the league has done in marketing and getting it out to everybody? Or is there something else that you look at the NLL and say, you know, that can't be anymore? Well, you know, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's the bad. It's the it's the non-existent. Um, okay. I mean, there's there's no there's no strategic plan going forward, and and that's not a knock on on George or or the, the league or what, what people have done in the past. That's just the hard reality is that there's no strategic growth path plan to mm-hmm. go forward. Um, the league is a tiny staff, um, very small in comparison to other leagues. Um, you know, even smaller than some inferior leagues. So mm-hmm. we, we've got to we've got to develop the plan, which uh, which is what I'm in the midst of doing, um, and and create a plan that's not only you know written and budgeted and uh, and supported by the ownership, but mm-hmm. but a, a plan that we can develop and tweak and uh, and pivot upon as we go forward with it. Um, you know, we're growing a new business. I mean, this is a 30-year-old league, but in a lot of ways, it's a new startup business. Do you can do you look at it as sort of a, do you look at it that way? As, you know, this is you know when you took over as sort of day one, and you were starting anew, or do you do you you know use the footing that that's already been placed there and, and grow off that? Well, in some ways, like in terms of the strategic plan that needs to be put together for the league, it's a new business because mm-hmm. there's they've they've dabbled with plans before, but I, I think they were, um, I think they didn't, they didn't contain the depth. They had outside consultants do it. Yeah. And I didn't think they, they really, they kind of went through the motions, if you will, to create yeah, those plans. Yeah. You know, my plan is going to be de- deep in detail and execution. And um, uh, it's probably going to be a hundred to 150 page business wow. plan with detailed execution. Yeah. Pieces and you can't do it all at once. Um, no, you know, there's no expectation that we're going to do every every initiative in that plan all at once. Nor do we expect the 
to get it all funded right away. It's going to take time. Uh, there's a lot of pieces that need to be put in place. And I spoke about the four priority pieces that need to be put in place right away for the league, which is, you know, the expansion plan, the, the digital media plan with a new website and mobile applications for data collection and, and really understanding who our consumer is in each market, finding more of them in some markets and other cases leveraging, you know, in places like Buffalo and Toronto and Colorado. I mean, yeah. you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be happy in those markets until we're sold out. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, the, and then the other pieces is, you know, grassroots platform, which is really important because we want to bring the next generation of lac lacrosse players along um, the pipeline. And, you know, the 12 year old lacrosse players, 22 in 10 years, and he's going to be spending money on our league, hopefully, if we stay mm -hmm. in front of them and, and we develop uh, a relationship there with that fan, you know, and then all, all that is propped up with a, a commercial plan, which really is non-existent at the league right now because yeah. the league doesn't own any assets. I mean, there are virtually no meaningful media assets or, or commercial assets to sell. Um, so we have to build that. That has to be built extensively. And, you know, that, as you know, I did that in the beginning of MLS and right. did that at every team that I was at. And, um, you know, you've got to, you got to provide a value proposition if you're going to get money. No, no one, no one just, donates money to, of course, yeah. you know, causes like the National Lacrosse League or Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. You've got to show them real value. How how hard is that? Like, for, for a league that, especially, you know, the National Lacrosse League, that's toiled, spinning its mud, trying to gain traction in in, in the marketing world and, and the consumer world, is it is it a hard process to undertake to, to get into these big retail chains or to get into a media outlet to have – you know, a, a an hour-long sports desk kind of show. It, it's not an easy task, is it? Well, it's not. It's not easy to execute, and the only thing that prevents it from being put together is is yourselves. It's quite. Mm -hmm. It's quite easy to put together. It's quite easy to develop a commercial platform if you're willing to contribute the assets to build the platform. So that part is easy. Executing right. it is not so easy because yeah. you have a ton of competition out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you're fighting. You're fighting for the same dollars as you know, from the NFL to Major League Baseball to hockey to to Major League Soccer now as a fifth player in the Big Five marketplace. And mm -hmm. in some cases, M MLS is a is a number three player in their market or number two yeah. even. Um, so there's a lot of competition, and and that's why buyers whether they're media companies, broadcast companies, or commercial sponsors, they're looking for real value to get a return on their investment. You know, yeah. Companies aren't just spending money on sports because it's a luxury item anymore. You know, yeah. Before the recession, that might have been the case. But today, buyers of sports properties and sports marketing initiatives are very diligent in making sure they get, they get a return on their investment. Uh, one thing... Um people from TSN would often tell me is that if the National Lacrosse League brings in long-term big money sponsors, then they'll stick around. Do you have um, a plan or a foothold of some of those sponsors that you want to go after? Yeah, absolutely. But we don't, we don't have the commercial assets to be able to bring in big long-term sponsors. You know, we, we need a media chicken and the egg thing, right? Of course. Yeah. Most of our teams, most of our teams right now don't have local television deals. Yeah, 
you know, so so how how are we going to have a conversation with a national broadcast partner when most of our teams don't even put their their games on local TV? Mm-hmm. So you know that that has to be fixed. That has to be developed. Um, you know, media drives a huge portion of the overall value to a big sponsor, and yeah. um, you know we we don't have media. Yeah, um, you you and I have talked about the relationship between Major League Soccer's growth plan and where we want the National Lacrosse League to go. What did the MS, or MLS do right that the NLL needs to now do? Uh, I think one of the, the turning points for MLS was right around 2001, uh, it, it created a company called Soccer United Marketing and aggregated a bunch of assets uh, like U.S. soccer assets, the governing body, men's and women's national teams, um, youth soccer, the the Mexican national team tour rights, major league soccer, of course, the minor league system, the USL, and it bundled all those assets together to leverage uh, a much more meaningful return on investment to the sponsors. And I think I'm not quite ready to say that can be done in lacrosse Mm -hmm. because I'm just learning what, I'm just learning what the, what the assets across the sport are. Um, so, but I, but I think there may be an opportunity there in doing something similar. Um, we've talked uh, about putting pieces in place uh, and you talked about ticketing. How important is it for teams to have the right people in place to, to sell tickets? Well, particularly at this moment in time, uh, yeah. it is, should be a number one priority um, in every regard. Um, you know, we frankly had a pretty good weekend, um, this past weekend, but, yeah. but still have a long, long way to go. And, you know, for, even for a league like major league soccer, they, they have some teams that really need a lot of focus on that as well. They are, they are not completely out of the woods in terms of attendance. And it's all mm-hmm. about butts and seats because butts and seats get sponsors excited butts and seats and a relevant team in a marketplace gets a potential owner excited mm-hmm. butts and seats gets broadcast partners excited when when you know the rock are are packing it at at uh, air canada center um you know tsn gets excited about that and, of uh, but but likewise if they see empty seats all those all those people that i'm going to be talking to over the coming mm-hmm. months and years they got to believe that it's a relevant league. And, and when there's people not sitting in the stands, uh, it's a challenge. It was a huge challenge in MLS. Mm-hmm. It took us years and years to get it right. Um, the team services component at the league office was a great best practice that helped considerably put the focus on ticket sales at the team level. And, um, and teams started increasing season ticket bases and average attendances started to go up. And it was a great narrative. It was a great story to tell. But mm-hmm. but when that is not occurring, it makes it nearly impossible to get people excited. So you know, teams having one or two ticket ticket sales guy isn't going to fly. I don't see how it does. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know why there would be an expectation of sold out arenas or great crowds with with a. A sales commitment like that, yeah, um, it just uh, it, it would. Does it make sense? No, not at all. Absolutely doesn't. Yeah. So, so in saying that, you know, are, are teams 
being receptive to some of your suggestions and, and you've talked about your your five year plan and you know, hundred and fifty page business dossier that you're gonna hand out to teams and it's kinda gonna be a model. Are teams being receptive to, to the changes that you're wanting to make? Yes, they are. Uh, very much so. I think especially the ones in the trenches that are trying to pack the houses and, and sell the tickets. I think they're mm-hmm. being very very responsive. You know, we've got some really good people uh, around the league at the team level that are committed and and uh, really want to succeed. In some cases, they're grossly under-resourced. Um, in other cases, you know, they they need you know they need more help uh, help that I think the league can provide them if if staffed properly and in, in, if an investment in a team services program is made, that's a great investment in the local club and the ability for a local club to earn more revenue, which is great for the local owner. So that, I would say, of all the things that we need to do, and the immediate priority is to focus on ticket sales. Mm-hmm. With with some of the smaller markets, you know, Vancouver's a big market where they're playing out in Langley. Uh, Atlanta's a big market where they're playing in Duluth. Same with, um, you know, New England's up in Uncasville. Those small markets can be very profitable. Are you seeing signs that those markets can be fruitful? Well, first of all, uh, Georgia plays in Gwinnett County. Uh, I lived in Gwinnett County for three oh, okay, years. Cool. There's a million. There's a million people that surround wow. that um, that arena. So, you know, no one should say that the Georgia Swarm play market, in a yeah. tiny market. Okay, yeah, that's actually the Georgia Swarm play in a bigger market than many markets. So, wow, okay. they're going to do. They're going to do great. They've got all the fundamentals in place. You, you know, the great front office staff, awesome owner in the Arlotta family, and and um, um, great staff, you know, world-class building. The building they're mm-hmm. playing is phenomenal. The thing that they don't have is time. You know, they, they've been in that market four months, and yeah. they need time to nurture the relationships and develop. New England's also in a great market. I mean, they're they're in a highly rural market, but the population sizes to the north. In um, with, you know, you've got Providence and Boston, and to the right. south, you've got New New Haven, Bridgeport, even you know New York is two hours away. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a phenomenal facility, a casino, spa, yeah. beautiful hotels, restaurants. It's a, it's an incredible entertainment district that they built there. More hotels going up. Um, absolutely no excuses there. That's a tremendous facility with a beautiful arena. Yeah, and I haven't been I haven't been to Langley yet, and and I'm not all that familiar with the with the deal there. I've mm-hmm. got to spend more more time with the owner and and the management team up there uh, and see you know see what's happening. I've, I've not I've only been to Vancouver once for a soccer yeah. game for a short period, and yeah. really uh, need to get more familiar with the city. But I I do believe it's a hotbed of of lacrosse absolutely. players. Yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely is. Uh, you've you've always spoken um, of your three pillars of expansion. You know, good owner, good market, good fan base. Uh, how how deep does that search go when you are um, listening to these prospective investors? Like, h- how deep are you looking into them? Um, well, it's actually um, first and foremost a, a deep owner that's committed to the game and. Mm-hmm. and- Wants to wants to invest in the sports business. The second is the building uh, it has to be a really strong building, and the third is the the community and and the the market. So those things must all three be in place. Otherwise, we're not considering a market. Yeah. Um. So right now, 
the business development plan is to identify a large list of of markets that have a building and potentially could it be a viable lacrosse market. Mm -hmm. Separately, a list is being put together of high net worth people and NHL teams and NBA teams and other sports entertainment companies that want to add programming to their mix and have the infrastructure to be able to support um, a lacrosse team and and make it successful. Mm -hmm. I think we have some great models in our league with that. I think, you know, Buffalo – um, Calgary, Colorado, and, Calgary yeah. Yeah, and Colorado are all three, you know, kind of flagship franchises that really reflect, uh, you know, what can happen when you either own and control, yeah. either own or control the building, and uh, you have the resources and ticket sales and marketing and public relations and community relations and all of that in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're that that's. You know we're going through that process right now, and then as soon as uh, as soon as we get the strategic business plan approved and and funding approved, then uh, we're going to go at it. You've spoken of expansion quite extensively since day one. You want to go from nine to sixteen, and you have this good five-year plan that that will help us get there. Is is there a number in place, say by 2018, you want to get to, or is it is it all just whatever happens happens? Well, I never like to say whatever happens happens because that means you don't have a plan. Hope is never a strategy in my yeah, in my fair. time. You know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to bring in, you know, a group of teams at a time. I'd like to have an expansion tranche in 18. And that doesn't mean we won't close one or two this year, but announce them to roll in in 18. Mm-hmm. I think a big mistake a lot of leagues make, and we certainly made them in MLS as we sold expansion teams to owners and then gave them the keys and said, you know, I'll see you at kickoff. Yeah. 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 And, and didn't give them a a runway of time to build a staff and build a season ticket base. So, you know, I'd like to group together, you know, whether it's one, two or three, you know, not one, but two or three teams, maybe group them together, roll them out in 18 and then maybe have another rollout of teams in in 20 and give these teams, you know, time time yeah, to seed the market and develop the market. It's just it's more sensible that way, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that's what happened, you know, in, in the early 2000s with the NLL is when they expanded to 13, they just did what you just said. They they got these owners and they said, okay, here you go, do it on your own. And a lot of these people didn't know how to market lacrosse or even really knew what lacrosse was. And they were put in, in, in situations that weren't beneficial to them. And they said, okay, you got six months and then you're starting. So the fact yeah. that you're you're you want to you know set a guideline of okay these are the three teams we're going to bring in but you have a year and a half or whatever it may be to get all your ducks in a row before we let you guys go live and I think that's that's going to be huge when you put a market in place and they have that time to grow. Yeah, no, give give the give the new owner a toolkit on how yeah. to on how to launch an expansion team and then prop up that owner and give that owner the support the operational support that he needs to build a staff and build a business operation. I mean, I don't know why anyone would expect a sports business to just miraculously launch and open up in a short period of time when it takes, in some cases, traditional businesses, it takes years to launch. Absolutely. It's taken national cost like 30 years to really launch because it hasn't gone to where we all want it to go. Um, the the TV product is something the National Cross League always wants to get into and, and to be 
um, as good as it can be. When you watch games now, um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, from rink to rink it's different just because of broadcast capabilities. But when you watch the games, are you, are you okay with the product that we're putting out? Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the product that's on TV now, thanks to our partnerships with Fox Sports and ESPN and, and TSN and, and the work that and the help that we get from, from Altitude and, and mm-hmm. some of the teams and their production is, is good. Um, can it get better? Of course. Uh, yeah. Can it become more consistent and standardized? Absolutely. But you ha- everyone needs to remember that th- this league, in a lot of ways, is a startup league still mm-hmm. after 30 years. It's, it's growing. It's got great potential. It's got great product. Um, but, you know, let's not be naive. We've got yeah. to invest in the television product. Um, I mean, Major League Soccer took 20 years yeah. to get a TV deal that paid them a rights fee. Up until mm-hmm. then, they were buying time from ABC and ESPN. They were they were taking the inventory in those broadcasts and packaging them into their sponsorship programs. And we were able to sign big big companies like Budweiser and and Honda and and uh, Gatorade and AT and T and and these types of you know. Fortune 500 companies because we had the media inventory that we essentially bought, and it took 20 years for MLS to get there. Big investments, mm-hmm. um, but it resulted in a landmark television deal last year that was a 90 million dollar a year rights deal. Wow! So we have to, you know, we have to be realistic in terms of you know the size of our league, the ratings that we get on TV, and it's not all about ratings. Broadcasters are willing to invest in a growth product. And, you know, like I said before, uh, we have to make we have to make the business of the NLL as cool as the players have made the sport on the floor. Absolutely. If we're succe- if we're successful at that, if we make our business operations as good as the players have made the game on the floor, there's no question this league can become the sixth major professional sport because it has it has such a good product. You talk about the the teams needing more personnel um, to kind of you know have a better strong stronger foothold to to get out to more people. When you look at the NLL in the front office and where you are now home and, and is your sort of little family, does it need to grow? Do you need more people in that front office doing things? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt. It's a it's for the league size that we are and the, and the number of fans that we draw and the competition scale that we have um you just can't you can't it can't be it can't be managed with the expectation of growth if you have six people in the front office um, right. and those people are terrific they are committed they do numerous jobs across the board to make sure the trains run on time and yeah. you know the games go off and they're refereed properly and mm-hmm. and the operation of the league is intact and that's fine but you know we want to grow we want to we want to expand this league and and it takes it takes investment to do that. You, you, I'm not going to say you're going to poach from anywhere else, but would you want guys that you're familiar with or you know some of their pedigree and their background to come in and work alongside you? Oh, of course, you always want people you're familiar with, but but I'm I'm going to you know respect Major League Soccer of course yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and and the folks at the Philadelphia Union and. 
um, have no intention on going there. No, uh, we're going to look for we're going to look for the best people in the few spots that we're going to uh, ask ownership to support in the business plan, and and you know we're, we're going to hire the best and the brightest that we can. Yeah, and that's really important. You know, especially in a startup situation, you need people that have kind of been there, done that, and right. have learned uh, by making the mistakes. We don't want to hire people. You know, in, in the growth of a new business, you can't hire people, and and your margin of error, you, you know, you, you, is just too thin. You you can't hire people that will kind of make the mistakes on your growth property. So yeah. you know, we're going to look for experienced people, whether it's in in lacrosse or outside of lacrosse. We're going to look for the very best that we can to add to our our current staff. And um, you know, I'm not talking about you know a staff of many, many people. I'm talking mm-hmm. about a staff that can assist in the four areas. You know, I'm, I'm going to be very focused on expansion. That, that's going to be my, you know, 24-7, 365 day year focus. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to need some, I'm going to need some help with that. You know, we've, we've got to develop a team services area that helps the teams with ticket sales and sponsorship and community relations and making the teams more relevant in their current markets. We're going to need people who can take on the task of building a digital platform, a website and mm-hmm. and mobile applications and grow. I mean, we have 4,000 emails after 30 years in business at the league yeah. level. That's that's a real missed opportunity in my opinion. You know, we we built a digital platform in MLS 4 years ago and MLS is sitting on over 6 million names in their wow. in their data in their data warehouse. So those are Soccer fans that you can communicate to, uh, send video to, you know, yeah. provide promotions to, sell things to, and that's very, very valuable for broadcasters. That's valuable mm-hmm. for commercial partners, and uh, we've got to develop that. So, you know, we need help. We need help at the league level to spearhead that program. We need to do a grassroots program across yeah. the north across North America, and that's going to take somebody to be living it every day and working with me to develop it. Um, I'll bring those entities to the table and, and we'll, we'll be able to set up a, a grassroots program across a number of cities, but there's a lot of work to be done in that area. And that's a little bit more of a long-term strategy. Yeah. Um, but very, very important because if you, you don't want to neglect the tens of thousands of kids playing lacrosse out there because they're the fans of the future. They're the ones. Exactly. They're the ones who need to get lit up today on our, on our league and our players, so that they will aspire someday to play in our league. You talked about the learning curve, um, or, and you you not knowing a whole lot and, and kind of being very green to this. How steep do you think your learning curve is going to be? Uh, it's it's like a, a straight vertical <laughs> angle up, upwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, listen, I, I'm, I've been in the sports, uh, industry, sports entertainment industry for 21 years as an executive and as a player, but that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, it, it's just understanding and knowing the fundamentals of the sports business and how to develop it. And it, it's really all about for a league like ours, it's yeah. all about tickets. It's all about butts and seats. It's all about community outreach and making the teams as relevant as possible in their local markets and building it one fan at a time.
you mentioned Buffalo uh, and that organization a couple times in our conversation here, Nick, and um, you had to get in your car and drive from Baltimore to Buffalo because of that snowstorm the other week, and you got there in time for the game, and and you had a great opportunity to sit down with uh, some potential investors. How did you enjoy your first experience with Banditland? It was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, clear, clearly they do it right up there. They have a tremendous venue. They've been in the market for 25 years. They're celebrating their 25th year in operations. Yeah. Um, you know, they they do it well. Um, they get big crowds. Um, but like I said, they, they they still have some work to do. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we shouldn't be satisfied in any of those markets that do well until we're sold out. Um, yeah. Whether the building's 18,000 seats or 5,000 seats, that right. that should always be, you know, it's like an athlete. You know, you should never be satisfied until you lift the trophy, and then the next day you want to lift another one. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know that's what we should be focused on. But but Buffalo is a tremendous experience. It's uh, boy they do it right. Uh, great entertainment value, great product, great fan base, and um, yeah, obviously a, a, one of our flagship franchises in terms of how a building that's owned and operated. Uh, by the owner can be very successful. Uh, before I let you go, a um, couple of personal things. Uh, you played back in the old MISL, the major indoor soccer league, and in front of you know thousands of fans at Nassau Coliseum with the New York Arrows. What was your time like? Uh, very brief time um, in that league and, and a sport that you know kind of filled a void. Yeah, so speaking of Buffalo, um, I played in the old arena in Buffalo. Yeah. I think it was the cold, coldest day of my life in February. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but at that time, you know, the NASL, the North American Soccer League, the Outdoor League, folded, and there left a void uh, in soccer really between 1986 and 1996 when MLS came onto the scene, and there was this 10-year void. Um, so the MISL flourished in those days. And I had a short spell in an indoor game because I was a goalkeeper. And as soon as I found out that uh, teams traveled three goalkeepers and and there was yeah. a reason for that, I decided my my place in the game was outdoors, not indoors. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that but the, yeah, the but it, MISL, but it was fun. yeah, the MISL was it was kind of like the fledgling MILL, the Major Indoor Lacrosse League, and and it kind of started a transition. Is is the rise of lacrosse going the right way now? Uh, I think so. Um, you know, lacrosse is a booming sport at the youth level. Yes. And that's why we need a, a grassroots program. You know, some some of the greatest moments I've had in Major League Soccer recently is I've, I've run into fans that are 22, 23, 24 years old, and they say to me, you know, I love this league. I grew up on this league. Yeah. And it, it, hit, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And then when you do the math, and you realize very quickly that those 24-year-olds were four years old when the league started. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now they're season ticket holders and they've graduated college and they're earning money and they're spending money on, on the sport of soccer. You know, we, we, would be, we would be very, very mistaken if we didn't stay in front of those kids for the next yeah. 10 years or 20 years because there are 12-year-olds today that are just lit up on the game of lacrosse, but they may not know about the NLL. Mm-hmm. And it's, if we want to have those kids say the same thing in 10 years, 
You know, I I love the National Lacrosse League. I I, I grew up a fan of the ba- Buffalo Bandits. Yeah. And now maybe I'm a player. Maybe I'm yeah. a fan. Maybe I'm on my way to being a father of another kid that grows up playing. And it's this kind of cycle that I think Major League Soccer has done an excellent job of staying in front of those kids over that long period of time. And now they've got an amazing local fan base. As a guy who played in this league for for eight years and, and understood the, the highs and lows of being a player and the travel, but also wanting to see the game grow and be a part of it. How important it is is it for you as a commissioner to reach out to to former players or even the current players and try to get them involved in the growth of it from a front office standpoint? Well, I, I think that's huge. And in each market that I've gone to, um, I've tried to you know not be disruptive because players are getting ready for the game. Mm-hmm. But I've tried to have conversations with many of the captains and some of the former players. Um, that are being, you know, honored at games. And yeah. I try to get their perspective because I think it's really important. And and over time, you know, those players retire and it's important for them to find their way in the game. Like we have a member at the league office, Brian Lemon, who mm-hmm. played in the league and understands the league and he has a lot to bring to the table in terms of uh, a player's perspective. And now he's in management and he's running mm-hmm. league operations. And, and that's, I think that's very, very important. Um, we didn't have that in the early days of MLS, but as time went on, players came out of the system and and they had a, they had an education and yeah. they just needed the experience and we've got to give them the, those opportunities. So I, I think it's a great thing and we'll we'll be looking to do that over the years to come. You're a, you're a very busy man, so I'll uh, I'll let you get some rest. Uh, you are not traveling this weekend. You're a bit under the weather, but where can fans uh, find you next at Arena near them? Yeah, I, I must have caught something along my travels because my <laughs> my wife uh, she shut me down this week. I was supposed yeah. to be I was supposed to be in L.A. Uh, meeting with Fox and then up to San Francisco for some NFL meetings and a meeting with uh, Denise and then up to Vancouver for the game. But unfortunately, the um, the Sakevich Supreme Commander shut me down <laughs> and uh, my my wings got clipped, but yeah. uh, I am next in uh, Calgary. I'm going out to Calgary, yeah, and uh, and then headed to Denver for some meetings there with uh, Steve Govett and the Conkey Sports Group and and some people that may be helping us with a with a web platform. And then awesome, and then I'm up to Vancouver on the 20th. I'm rescheduled for the 20th to spend a couple of days up there. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, then that is where I will see you, sir. I appreciate you giving us some time to talk. Uh, you have done uh, yeoman's work, and it's just been a month, I think, as a player, as I said, someone who's been in this league and, and as a player and now as a, as a broadcaster and what's covering it. I think the new day is here, and I'm so glad that you are our new commissioner, and I wish you the best of luck and the most success. Well, thank you, Teddy. We have a long, long way to go. We so, do. We do. Know, one month in, good start, but um, I'm not I'm – not, naive. I know we have a tremendous amount of work and I'm really looking forward to locking arms with everyone in the lacrosse community to make it happen. There he is. Uh, Commissioner Nick Zakevich. Just poignantly open and honest and understands that for the National Lacrosse League to go to the heights and stratosphere that we all want it to, we got to do a lot of work. And it's not just him. 
It's all the organiza- all the franchises and teams and the owners and the GMs and the front office staff have to really focus on understanding that what we've done for the most part over the first 30 years hasn't been good enough. We've had some successes and we've had some things that worked, but we've had a lot more things that didn't work. And the status quo that is the NLL right now needs to improve. From having more ticket sales to having a chief business officer to having a chief financial officer to having um, a general manager that just focuses on being a general manager, a president that focuses just on being the president. Um, You heard him say, you know, his sole focus for the next while is going to be expansion. 24-7, 365, his focus will be getting this league to 12, 15, 18 teams, 20 teams. Who knows? That's going to be his focus. But under him, he's going to have other people working on his other platforms, the the media and social marketing, uh, merchandise, sales, ticketing, TV, all that stuff. He can't do it all. And what you see with a lot of National Lacrosse League teams, especially the ones that aren't owned by NL or NHL teams, is they don't have the resources. They don't have the people in place. So with his strategic five-year plan, he's going to start making teams have to put people in place. And I think, and this isn't a knock on George Daniel or even Jim Jennings, He is Nick Sakevich is already coming in and putting his foot down and saying, okay, you guys have invested in me. Now it's time for me to invest in you, and you guys have to invest in yourself. And this is how we're going to do it. And so it was a fantastic conversation. I hope you guys all enjoyed it because I just continue to get more and more blown away by him and the things that he wants to do and the pedigree that he comes into this position with, the life experiences that he's had, you know, as an MISL player. Go back and watch some of that footage of the old major indoor soccer league. You know, they were playing at Nassau Coliseum in the early 80s to 13,000, 15,000 people. Jam-packed arenas all across, you know, the eastern U.S. and all the other markets that they had. Yeah, there were some tough ones, but for the most part, as he said, it the MISL filled the void. And they jammed arenas. And it was incredible. Like, I remember watching Major Indoor Soccer League. And it was, as he said, something that filled a void and was needed. Well, lacrosse fills the void. It is needed. But we got to do a better job of putting butts in the seats and getting more seats to put butts in, so... Uh, thanks to Nick Sakevich for stopping by and joining us. We have one more point of business before we get you out of here. Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe every lie that I... This week's Man of the Week comes from the Georgia Swarm. He was Stephen Stamps' first star of the week, and I really can't complain. I could have picked, like, a number of guys. I wanted to pick Brody McDonald. I wanted to pick Evan Kirk. But we're going with Johnny Pup 
Paulus. The Six Nations Ontario forward had uh, his two best back-to-back games of the season and on back-to-back nights. He scored seven points in a 2017 win over Toronto, four goals and three assists. He wasn't even named a game star in that game, but the Rochester game, three goals, three assists, six points in the 13-9 win, and he was named the first star, and he is the man. So there you have it, lacrosse fans. Another OTCB in the books. Got to thank Nick Sakevich for stopping by and chatting with us. And of course, I got to thank you for continually listening to this show, whether you're listening to uh, it on NLL Radio or over on my SoundCloud page. I thank you for stopping by. As I mentioned, it was an incredible week last weekend with five games that just had people on the edge of their seats all game long. Four more big games, and all gets going Friday, February 5th, Calgary at Saskatchewan, which will be an intense, intense battle. We remember the first game these two teams played in Calgary with Saskatchewan coming out with a fingernail biter of a win. But then three games on Saturday, New England at Buffalo, which a rematch of last weekend's game, Georgia at Calgary as Calgary plays back-to-back games in the weekend, and then Colorado at Vancouver wraps it all up Saturday night from the LEC. Um, I meant to mention Jake and Brad uh, quickly before we get out of here. Those two guys did an absolutely phenomenal job on the TSN TV broadcast. It was unfortunate that they kind of got preempted by the college basketball game. There was nothing they could do about that. Could TSN have thrown the game on one of the other five channels that they have when they were showing curling on three? Yeah, probably. But they didn't. And that's because lacrosse still doesn't bring in the revenue enough revenue enough to make them change. But regardless of that, Brad and Jake have been working their butts off and become two of the best at what they do. Their chemistry is flawless. They work so very well together. And when you have two knowledgeable guys calling a lacrosse game, it makes it easy for fans to follow the game because they know what's going on. They don't get lost in all the other stuff. They generally, sometimes they kind of get off topic, but we all do. They generally stick to the script and just call the game. And Jake did a fantastic job being impartial. He's a Vancouver guy. He works for the stealth, as does Brad. Both guys did a great job being impartial, calling that game. And they got to call a fantastic lacrosse game on national television. So kudos to those guys. Uh, just two more guys breaking the mold and showing the lacrosse guys are pretty good at talking. We'll talk to you in a week's time. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar on Twitter. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email. I'll talk to you in a week's time. Enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.